And, and I really felt like that we needed to talk about this parable of the 10 virgins today. And it might sound like an unusual title, an unusual parable, and you wonder, where is this going? You know, that's, but the 10 virgins really represent those who are seeking after God. And some of them really connect with God, find God, and some of them don't. You see, you can be on the journey and never reach the destination. You can be looking for God and never meet God or find God. You can know all about God and not know God. You see, God is a personal God who wants to know you personally. And sometimes you pick up the Bible and you go like, where do I start? What do I do with all of this? And you can be a Christian for a long, uh, many, many years and you go like, there's a lot in there. Where do I, how do I bring this down to where I really live? And when we look at this parable of the 10 virgins, it's really, it's really an invitation to a life of vigilance, foresight, and spiritual preparedness. Are you prepared for the future? And I'm talking spiritually. I'm talking financially, emotionally, vocationally, any other way. Are you prepared spiritually for the future? You know, it doesn't take a brain scientist, right, to, to look at where we're at in the world right now and say, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on that, and not all of it looks good. And it's complicated, it's difficult, and, and you wonder, where is this going? I just uh, uh, read an article about Whole Foods in Washington, D.C. In order to buy anything there, you have to first go in and do a five-point biometric scan. That means your five fingers. Then to buy anything, you do that again, and then to leave, you have to do that again. So essentially what they're saying is you cannot buy or sell without giving us your biometric information. And this is just the beginning of what's happening. And that, you say, well, is there really a problem with that? There's a lot of problems with that. First of all, now your five-point biometric pattern is stored in the cloud. That makes me feel safe. How about you? But you see, what, what is more than that is in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, and you see when you preach about this, people thought you were crazy. Now they think, well, this must be that. You talk about the mark of the beast in Revelation and that there will come a time where you can't buy or sell without a chip in the hand or in the forehead. And you used to preach this like 20 years ago and people go, that'll never happen. And now it happens all the time and now you see it fastly, fast moving in that direction. So I really felt like today I wanted to prepare you and I wanted to make sure you understood what it mean, means to really be a follower of Jesus Christ. Without being weird, but just laying it out from this particular portion of Scripture. You see, the Bible says that in the latter days, okay, that is the last days before the return of Christ, some will depart from the faith. And what they will do instead, it says they will give heed, they will listen to demonic forces. And so you, you look at it, you go, okay, there's, there's really like two groups here. There's one that says, I'm going to be a God follower, and the other says, I'm going to be not a God follower. Therefore, whatever comes with that, I'm going that direction. And rather than make it like God and Satan, think about this. Every consequence that comes to you being separated from God is what you get when you're not a God follower. That means hopelessness. For example, in, in death, where do you go if you have no God? You, well, I guess I just go into the ground. I just like go back to the elements. Or 
Do I have some Hindu theology and I, I just believe I'm reincarnated again and again? And so you have to almost kind of take a, a few moments in your own mind and go like, where am I in the great scheme of all of this? And so I want you to, to be prepared. And so that's the, the really the first thought I want to give you is be prepared. Are you prepared for the return of Christ? I, told, I referred you to that church, and I was a pre-law student at a secular university, and I was reading this book called The Great Late Planet Earth. And as I read it, I came to the realization that whatever's in this, I'm not ready for. I'm not ready for God. I don't know how to talk to God. I don't know how to relate to God, and, and, I, and I didn't know how to pray. Have you ever been in that situation where you go, well, I don't even know how to pray? I'm talking about as a, a new person or a young person in Christ trying to find out. And I remember praying, and I just said, God, I'm here, and I believe what I've been reading in the Bible, and I want to follow you. And that was my in introduction, so to speak, into the Christian faith. But now I want to take you to a parable, and, and a parable, think about it like this. You say, what is a parable? It's, a, it's, a heavenly, it's an earthly story with a heavenly message. So he's going to tell you something you can all relate about, but it goes to another level, a spiritual level, that is going to take you to that place where you have to connect with God to fully understand it. So here's what he says. The kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps, went out to meet the bridegroom. Now let me just tell you, the bridegroom in the story is Jesus. Okay? Now five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps uh, and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels and their lamps, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Now, they have something in common. Outwardly, it seems like everything is the same, and they have these lamps, and, and one is without oil. Now, so remember, we're talking about earthly story but heavenly meaning. So the bridegroom represents Jesus, these 10 virgins represent those who are trying to follow God, and the oil in the lamp is the Holy Spirit. So there's some that are going through the motions of Christianity without the Holy Spirit. That means they've never been born again. They've never been converted into the faith. The Bible says in the latter days, some will, will actually have a form of godliness. In other words, they'll take on Christian ideals but they won't have any power because they don't have any Holy Spirit. So one of the tests, you, you have to look at your life and say, well, I, I, I believe in God. Well, it takes more than that. It, it takes not only that believe in God, it's that faith in God that's transformational that brings me to an experience of really meeting God and knowing God. And that results in something being called born again, born again into the kingdom of God. So you'll notice that they were all together, and half of them were wise. Why were they wise? Because they had the Holy Spirit. Why were they foolish? Because they didn't have the Holy Spirit, but they all had something in common. Notice what it was. They all slumbered. In other words, they were all asleep at the wheel. It's almost like he's talking to the church worldwide and said, are you asleep during some of the dark times when you really need the power of the Holy Spirit? So on the other hand, I'm talking to those of you who really know God and ask the question, you say, well, I, yes, I've been born again. Are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? Is the explanation of your life God or you? Do you have confidence when you talk to people about Jesus that the Spirit of God is speaking through you? The Bible says that all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. 
These are the true followers of God if you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. So when the Holy Spirit comes, what does he do? He looks in your life and he says, that's wrong, that's sin. You see, the Bible believes in absolute truth. Some things are right and some things are wrong, okay? Convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of the need to be a better person. I think we'd all agree we'd like to be a better person. And sometimes we're frustrated because we can't, but we can't because we don't rely on God sometimes. Amen? And then of coming judgment, what does that mean? Accountability. You know, I've often said, you know, the first rule of safe driving, I, I like to ask people this question, and they'll, they'll tell me, put on your seatbelt or, you know, stop at a stop sign. I said, no, it's a policeman on the corner. When I see a policeman, I drive better. Have you ever noticed that? Right? And uh, when I saw my mom, I was a better boy. You know, when I heard her voice, I was a better guy. You know, same thing with my dad. And so accountability. So that's one of the things that happens here. So here's, here's a couple of things to think about. You see, are you neglecting what you know or are you diligent with what you know? Most people look at it and go, you know, I'm doing pretty good. If you give me a, if you kind of grade me on a, on a curve, I'm doing great in the Christian life. But what if you look at your life and be honest with it and say, am I living as close to God as I've ever had in the past? Or would I rate myself, you know, I'm probably a six or a seven on that whole thing, but would you like to be a 10? And it's really up to you if you want to live for God or not live for God. If you want to be committed to God or not committed to God. Sometimes we only pray when we're in an emergency. You know that one, right? You know, I, I'm praying I'm praying all the time. I'm walking the Spirit. I'm praying all the time. But when a tragedy comes, wow, I really get serious with God. Why not get really serious with God every day? Amen? You know, and, and it's not that complicated. What if you said, I'm going to take five minutes every day, the beginning of my day, and I'm going to get serious with God? You say, only five? I said, if you want to do more, it's more. But remember, it's that consistent everyday pattern of your life that takes you over the top. You say, well, can I cram at the end of the week? Do 35 minutes. You could, but it's going to be more effective five minutes a day. And if five turns into seven, that's great. If seven turns into 15, that's great. But I want you to know consistency is what is going, because every day you're being bombarded, aren't you, by something? It's either like fear, you know, doubt, challenges in the media, challenges in the government, challenges around the world, and you're going like, I don't even know what to think anymore with what's going on in my world. That's why you need a daily input of God in your life. Now, otherwise, you're going to become, you know, you're just going to neglect some things of God until a crisis comes, and then you're not prepared for the crisis when the crisis comes. Ask yourself this, am I wise or am I foolish? Now, wisdom, the Bible says, comes in two ways. It comes from above, and there's also earthly wisdom. You see, you can have earthly wisdom, and you should but you need heavenly wisdom too. You need, in other words, you need divine insights into what God is doing in our world. It's really interesting. One of the characteristics of the last days is that supernatural power will be restored to the church. Now listen to me. Supernatural power will be restored to the church. Let me read the scripture to you. Acts chapter two and 17. It shall come to pass in the last days that God, God says, God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Now, that's a promise of God. It's a promise of God. You say, what are those things? Well, prophecy is that miraculous act of communication rooted in spontaneous divine revelation and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God gives you insight into a situation and allows you to see it from a different angle. It's not the same as Scripture, but it is insightful and it is Holy Spirit given. So so sometimes you'll say, you know, I just feel like this is what God is saying to you or to me. And you want to weigh that with Scripture, want to say, well, is that valid? Is that hold the test of Scripture? Okay? But you say, well, I mean, there's been many things. This whole church was started on a word of prophecy, and I didn't even know the guy. I didn't even know he made the prophecy, but it turned out that Sean Boltz had made this pro- prophetic word on 2-12-12, a church would be launched, and you know, some of you know the details of it, but we're here because of that prophetic word. You see, and those things happen. The other one is dreams. You know, if you've ever had a dream, have you ever woke up from one of those dreams and go like, wow, that was a crazy dream? I have those every day, right? Crazy dream. But have you ever had one of those dreams where you wake up and you go, I feel like God was trying to tell me something? You're not sure because you want to test it, but you say, what is a dream? Well, those are vehicles oftentimes of divine communication. In other words, God is speaking to you through a dream. In the Bible, it often you see it play out in guidance, warnings, and revelations of God's purpose. So you have a dream, you go like, I, I just I, I have this dream, I need to figure this one out because I think, and then you'll bounce it off somebody. Hey, I had this dream. Do you, does God speak to you that way? And this is kind of how you process it. What would you? What do you think about my dream? Does God give you any insight in that? And and so you're going through this thing. You're trying to test your dream just like you test a word of prophecy. And then the third one is visions he talks about, and that's a direct and powerful communication. By the way, dreams are at night. Visions are typically in the day and can be both symbolic or literal in their presentation of divine truth. So you've got this vision. You're just kind of walking through life, and all of a sudden God just gives you this mental vision of something and says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do that. You know, we've been talking about the Jesus Clubs in the high schools, and looks like we're going to be in four high schools. I th- told you three, but looks like four. Amen. And I'm going to tell you a, a vision that God gave me. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the high schools. But so you, you think about this: we're going into high schools at lunchtime, and we're serving pizza. What kid doesn't like pizza? Amen. So instead of going on your lunch break, you're going to come into the gymnasium. And we're gathering somewhere around 200 kids to 250 kids once a week in the public high schools to hear about Jesus. Okay, now, I was talking to Pastor Allen. I said, Allen, he's, he's so excited. We're going to be in four high schools. So our staff works Sunday through Thursday. So we're going to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's the plan, and we'll have a team for every day. And I said, Pastor Allen, we need to be in more schools. How many high schools are there in Orange County? We need to be in every high school in Orange County. Now, we as a church can't be in it. And I had this vision that we would be the catalyst church that would train other youth pastors, other leaders to take the gospel into their high schools in their cities all across Orange County. 
Because you see, we're, we're fighting in a battle that you know, we can't get in there any other way. It's not like you know, we've got Christian teachers in many schools, but you know, there's not enough. And there's not enough opportunity. We get wide open one hour, talk to kids about Jesus. Think about that. And God gave me this vision, and I told Pastor Allen, I said, this is what we need to do. He said, I know exactly how to do it. And then we got created the idea of, he had the idea of an on, online platform where you can go there and be discipled and learn all about it in case we get kicked out of schools. Because we can get kicked out pretty easy. Right, it's not hard to violate some something along the way, but you see, that's that's an example of a vision. Now I've got it in my mind. I don't know all the de- I don't have to have all the details. It's just kind of this vague picture. Sometimes Scott and I, I'm saying this as an example, also just informational, but an example in your business, in your family, in your life. Sometimes you'll just get a clear mental picture of something, and you know it's bigger than you that God is speaking to you in that moment and you need to do something with that. Start with the big picture, write it down, say this is the vision I have and begin to say now and then begin to pray into it. God, what are you showing me in this vision? God, can you bring people around me to help me with this vision? Nobody ever accomplishes a vision by themselves. There's always someone to help you, sometimes many someones to help you in the process. So ask yourself, who can align with this vision? Who can bring other dimensions to this vision so that we can accomplish something great for God? You don't always have to be the vision caster. You can be the vision follower. You can say, I like that vision. I I can resonate with that vision. I'm going in that direction with that vision. So these are some things you you can think about. So be prepared. Second thing, be awake. This is a really important thing in church. <laughs> when my, uh, my mom was growing up, she was in this small little town in, in Missouri. And uh, they, had, uh, they had different ministries, and they had one ministry, and th- this was the guy that had the ministry of keeping people awake. Now, I know this seems hard to believe, but, you know, d- you know during a, you know, like no air conditioner, tough, you know, bad sermons, all those kind of things. So they had a guy with a long pole. And his job was to go around when he saw someone nodding to take the pole and give him a little poke and wake him up. And everybody kind of understood it. And so I'm sure for a while it was funny. It probably was always funny. But you can imagine the humiliation of being poked by a pole because you're sleeping. So it did help keep people alert. All right, so I want you to be awake. But I want you to be awake in the spiritual realm. Are you with me? I want to be awake. I want to be able to look at what's happening and say, how do I interpret that situation through the Spirit of God? You know, for example, there's been a recent boycott of Target. Let's just use this, okay? Now, there's a lot of ways you can look at that. What you have to look at that is you want to say, I want to look at that not through economic eyes. I want to look at it through spiritual eyes. What can I see, and how do I participate in that? Because what's really interesting about that particular boycott is that it didn't just uh, bring in people of faith. It brought in people all across, moms all across the nation. says, wait a minute, you're, you're hurting my children, Right? So instead of becoming like this obnoxious Christian, are you with me about it? What you do is you go like, this is an opportunity to talk to people outside the church. Well, why are you, why are you boycotting Target? Well, you know, instead of getting on the Bible thing and going too hard fast on someone who doesn't understand the word of God, just say, hey, I relate to that. Why do you think children are important? 
You see, what you're doing is you're acting with wisdom and you're seeing things through a spiritual lens instead of just, you know, just your typical lens of, you know, well, we're gonna crush Target and they've already lost $19 billion and I can't wait till it's 40 billion and, you know, all the, you see, you wanna be supernaturally natural. Not supernaturally weird. Are you with me? Anybody know any, any weird Christians? Raise your hand. I do, I mean, I know them. Some of you are in here. I mean, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> so what do you want to do? You want to be able to look at things and say, like, I want, to, I want to make the best judgment call I can, but at the same time, I want to know who I'm talking to so I can take those people and bring them to a better understanding of who God is. So let's look at, let's look at this next one, be awake. It says in, in verse 6, it says, And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and said, No, lest there should not be enough for you and for us. But go rather to those who sell it. Buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Now, watch what's happening here. The midnight cry, that meant a crisis happened or there was an announcement of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden you realize everything was coming together and you say, I've got to be ready for God, but I'm not ready for God. And those who were ready went into the wedding chamber, went into the wedding, and then the door was shut. Imagine if you were one of those ones that were ridiculing Noah in his day about an ark. And you said, you're crazy, Noah, you're foolish. It's gonna rain for 40 days and 40 nights. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. And then the Bible says the door was shut. Imagine if you were living in the time of uh, Moses and, and Moses said, look, you have to offer a sacrifice. You have to put blood on the doorpost of your house so the death angel will pass over you. And people said, that's stupid, I'm not gonna do that. And then the door was shut. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and him with me. But then the door is shut. You see, the door's shut all the time. And some doors that shut don't make that big a deal. It's an opportunity missed. It's an experience wasted. But the door of your soul is the most important door that you could ever imagine. And when that door is shut, when that opportunity is gone, it's too late. And this is a parable about not letting things become too late. You see, what does that? The distractions of life. I don't know about you, but I have a million distractions. My mind is always running in a million directions, and sometimes God says, you need to focus, son. You're a daydreamer. This is what all my teachers told me. You're a daydreamer. He's a good student, but he's a daydreamer, and he's distracted, and he distracts everyone else. Those were all true statements. The problem was I was so smart that my teachers didn't understand how to deal with me. That's a lie, by the way. <laughs> that's not true. I just, that's what my mom told me. And she was always truthful. But there's a finality of a closed door in our life. And what we want to do is we want to be able to go through life and go like, if there's an open door of the Lord, I want to go through that door. 
The third thing is to be watchful. To be watchful. Matthew 25, verses 11 through 13. Afterward, the, uh, uh, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, open to us the door. Now imagine in Noah's day and you're knocking on the door. Noah, let us in. It's raining. But the Bible says the door was sealed shut and Noah couldn't open the door even if he wanted to. Lord, open the door. But he answered and said, assuredly, I say unto you, I do not know you. See, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. If you've never been born again, you don't go into heaven. I've had people all my whole life say, well, I, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. Now, now, the word try is the operative word here. <laughs> Nobody has ever kept the Ten Commandments. By the time you discover them, you've already broken a couple. But the Ten Commandments were never intended to get you into heaven, only to point out that you're not ready for heaven. It's only the mercy and the grace of God that gets you into the kingdom of God. He says, watch, therefore, for you do not know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. You see, the Bible is built around a promise, and that promise is that I will be with you now in this present life, but I also will return and I will take you to heaven. Whether you're in dying or in my return, I will take you to heaven. And the great hope of everyone in this room, in fact, I, I've read many, many accounts of survivors of the Holocaust. And every single account that I've read is that without hope, they died. The ones that could hold on the longest were the ones with hope. And then that group got even narrower. The ones who had hope in God were the ones that sustained that tragedy longer than anyone else. The reason that you love life is because you've got hope of something to better tomorrow. I got hope of finding someone and falling in love. I got hope of finding a job. I've got hope, hope, hope. And the Bible is built around this idea of hope of the return of Christ. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done wonders in your name? And then I will declare unto them, I never knew you. Can you imagine being a religious person who'd accomplished some things in your life and God doesn't know you? See, to be deceived is the worst thing in the world, isn't it? To believe I am a Christian and not be a Christian would be the greatest deception of mankind. To think I'm going to heaven and not getting to heaven, that's, that's a tragedy. And what we want to do is we want you to understand that God wants to bring everyone in. Look what he says. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done wonders in your name, and then I will declare to you, I never knew you. I never knew you. Look what it says in Matthew 24. But of that day and the hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. But as of the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. So just like it happened in that day is going to be another. And then in Matthew 24, 40, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. This, of course, is a reference to the rapture. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know the hour the Lord is coming. Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 
You see, the Bible is built on this truth. The truth is Christ is going to return. He's going to return for those who are truly saved, truly born into the kingdom of God. And what happens is when that rapture comes, everyone without Christ will be left on planet Earth, and there will be a time of great tribulation and trial on the planet. And so the emphasis of the Bible is that get right with God. Know God without a shadow of a doubt. When I ask people, I say, do you know, are you a Christian? Have you been born again? And they say, I hope so. I know we've got a problem. You want to have a no-so kind of religion. You want to be able to say without a shadow of a doubt, I know my God. I have been born into the kingdom of God. I have been saved by the blood of the lamb. And I know that when he looks me in the eye, when I die and I stand before him and, I, and he says to me, why should I let you into my kingdom? I'll have the right answer. Because I hope so, I think so, I don't know, doesn't work. I want you to have a no-so kind of religion today. And I realize that whether you're here, you're watching outside, or you're watching online, you might have a think-so kind of religion, but I want you to have a no-so kind of religion. See, the Bible says that it's possible for us to know that we know him. There was a man that came to Jesus by night, and he said, Jesus, tell us how we can get eternal life. And he said to this man named Nicodemus, you must be born again. Such an unusual term that he asked the question. He said, well, how can I do that? Can I get back into my mother's womb? He said, Nicodemus, are you a teacher in Israel and you do not understand? You see, there are laws that govern the physical world, laws that govern the spiritual world. If I violate a physical law, I die. If I violate a spiritual law, I die. You must be born again. I was born once. I was born again. I want you to be born again today. If there's any doubt in your mind, any hesitation, any think so, hope so kind of religion, I want you to leave here with a no so kind of religion. I want you to stand with me right now. Just bow your heads. I'm going to give you an invitation to pray. To pray. I'm going to give you the words to pray, but you're going to supply the faith. I'm gonna give you a pattern to follow. You're gonna speak those words out loud, but it's gonna be your faith that's gonna be transformational. There's nothing, the greatest miracle of God is not someone being cured by cancer, but we'd love people to be cured by cancer. Not that the lame walk or the blind see, but that your life is transformed from not knowing God to knowing God. That's the greatest miracle on planet Earth. You become a son and a daughter of the living God. Think how great that is. I mean, that's just amazing. Once I was lost, now I am found. Once I was blind, now I see. I see into the kingdom. So let's bow our heads. Let me pray. You just pray. Everyone here in this room who, who just, you can pray this verse, this uh, word out loud right with me right now. Dear Lord Jesus, just say it loud. Just say it like you mean it. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross that you were buried in a tomb, that you rose from the dead. You took away my sin and gave me new life. I believe that you are my Lord and my Savior. I trust you with my soul. Save me, Lord Jesus, right now. 
If that was your prayer and you meant it, would you thank him with your own words? Just thank him right out loud where you are. Just thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You've experienced the great miracle of heaven, salvation coming from dark into light, from death into life. If that was your prayer, would you just lift your hand? The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. All right, amen.